1: You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show. We explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr.
2: I'm Scarlett Fu.
1: Coming up today, we'll be chatting with Oakland A's President Dave Cavill on the state of the team. As they look to build for the future on the field and hope to find a new home. That's straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports show. But first, let's look at some of the top stories of the week. A lot of soccer stories to talk about. And let's start, first of all, about CTE, uh, because it's something that we know about it in football and in hockey and in hockey but people forget in soccer sometimes you have to use your head and and i'm not talking about as in just thinking i'm talking about you use your head to hit the ball and their collisions are going Mm -hmm. on out there and now finally you know someone has said look i've gone public with my cte
2: Yes, we're talking about former MLS defender Scott Vermillion. He has the degenerative brain disease. Uh, researchers have diagnosed that uh, he has CTE for the first time, uh, or in an MLS player. And Of course, this is a player who died of an accidental drug overdose back mm. in December of 2020 at the age of 44. We're not able to directly say that he died of CTE because clearly the catalyst was an accidental drug overdose. but. Perhaps there was a link to his playing days as to why he developed this disease. And I think it's important here that we make the point that this is not limited to collision sports like football and hockey. And this has huge repercussions for kids who play soccer in the US uh, and around the world as well. And there have been steps taken to perhaps reduce uh, the number of kids who might head the ball. Yeah, yeah, and, and make it so that it's not something they do below the age of 14 to reduce the likelihood of repeated blows to the head.
1: I, I think of all the sports like that, like with football, and I always think of the name Dave Duerson, uh, who played in the NFL. And he wound up with... Uh, he, he had a degenerative brain disease, and, and sadly, uh, he committed suicide. And mm-hmm. before he shot himself... He shot himself in the heart. He said, look, I want you guys to look at my brain and study it mm. and see what's going on. I know it's taken a, a dark turn, but CTE is something that has to be handled. It's not it's not a happy topic at all. And, and the soccer player is, the whole family of that soccer player went through the same thing.
2: The father of the player said... Uh, we hope this will be a wake-up call to the soccer community in particular to support former players, get them the help they need, so that something good can come out of uh, what has happened with their family.
1: Now, there is other soccer news, and uh, it's a little bit more bright and hairless. Uh, Amazon said to boost UK soccer coverage with the UEFA deal. It is going to now broadcast the top football tournament
2: F U T B O L. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and that's according to people familiar with the matter. Amazon, man, has been really pushing hard to get into sports.
2: Yeah. They're upping their content, and live sports is the only appointment viewing anyone does, apparently. So Amazon has money to spend as well. Amazon, of course, is a number of broadcasters that are set to sign media rights with UEFA. So it's not the only one. But it's interesting that it's joined the fray and can be an active bidder. The value of this three-year contract, according to people familiar with the matter, may be about 20% higher than Mm -hmm. the previous cycle. So that premium just keeps increasing.
1: There are estimates out there uh, this deal could be around 1.7 billion euros. And speaking of more going on about the broadcast rights. Barcelona sold some of its television rights. Gee, what is a TV now these days? I'm an old (laughs) man. Live sports. Yeah. (laughs) They've sold it for more than 200 million euros to help its finances. That's according to what the club said. And to be exact, it is 207.5 million euros. Break it down. $215 Dollars, $215 million in exchange for 10% of the club's Spanish League TV rights for the next 25 years. That's
2: a really long contract.
1: And it's relatively cheap, when you think about it.
2: Yeah. Why 25 years? They hold the product, so they don't need to sell it for 25 years. They could sell it for five years.
1: Well, a- according to what they're saying, they want to get themselves in position now. They they it's a major they need step the cash forward. now. Yeah, they want to include. They want to improve the the club's financial resources. I know. And competitive positioning as they yeah, put it. but they're selling it cheap. When are we going to get our <laughs> mindset here in the United States? that soccer is the king's sport. And it, all around the world, except here, it's like, okay, it's nice. Well, we have but,
2: football. We have the NFL.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, it's... We,
2: we, Bar, it, let's talk again in October or... December or oh, January wow. when, like, you won't even mention soccer because you're all excited about the NFL playoffs.
1: Yeah, you're going right. around. Who's going to uh, talk
2: about soccer then? who
1: uh, yeah, will we'll be talking more about, yeah, he socked him. They got in a fight. <laughs> They're like, whatever. We're not talking about soccer. We're not going to talk about football.
2: We're going to talk about the NFL. We're going to talk about the playoffs.
1: I I know. I know. I know. that. It, uh, but uh, soccer is big around the world. Yeah,
2: it's the world sport, but... Okay. It can't compete with any given Sunday.
1: Well, no, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> next. You're going
2: you're gonna to watch Barcelona over your Detroit Lions?
1: Why why are you going to embarrass me in front of the <laughs> national audience? <laughs> Up, ne- <laughs> Up next on the show, we speak with Dave Cavill, president of the Oakland A's. Just schooled me, man. It's just straight ahead on the Bloomberg business of sports. I'm Michael Barr. You can follow me on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. I'm
2: Scarlet Food. Let's just check Michael Barr's Twitter feed come December, come January, and see what whether he's talking about soccer. I'm at Scarlet Food on Twitter.
1: Oh man, that was ouch with the next <laughs> (laughs) Don't forget to catch our podcast That's Mondays, Wednesdays and Thursdays On all your podcast platforms Right here on Bloomberg Business of Sports From Bloomberg Radio
0: The countdown has begun From May 14th to 16th A thousand global leaders Will gather in Doha For the Carter Economic Forum Powered by Bloomberg Join heads of state influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.
1: You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr.
2: I'm Scarlett Foo.
1: Coming up, we are speaking with Oakland Athletics President Dave Cavill to talk about his team strategy heading toward the trade deadline with an eye toward the future. And maybe, just maybe, we'll get him to talk about how things are going in the search for possibly a new home. Dave Cavill, welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports.
3: Awesome. Thanks so much for having me guys.
1: You know what? Here comes the old geezer coming out. And I wanna we talk in baseball, so we're gonna talk about the the old A's. And I remember Joe Rudy and Reggie Jackson when he was with the A's. Yes, that's right, Yankees fans. He was with the A's <laughs> before he came to the Yankees. And I remember that team. That team was an awesome team.
2: When there. he entered the Hall of Fame, it was all about him on the A's. See? <laughs> it,
3: it, it was. Yes, you remember correctly. And, they, and you know, they won three straight world championships in the early 70s and just such a colorful team of characters and uh, really amazing to watch with the Kelly Green uniform, the, yeah. you know, mustache gang. You know, it was just an incredible period for baseball and sport.
1: What happens? when a team unfortunately but let's let's just say it's it's not the best year going right now. Sometimes, you know, it's a little, you know, a little down season this year. But I mean, you're the team that, you know, where you had money ball and everything. So there's such a rich history for you guys to come back.
3: Well, and you know, we're we're this is part of the money ball cycle. You know, we have a situation where, you know, because of our limited resources and um, you know, it's harder for us to sign free agents and players once they become free agent eligible. We kind of have a cycle where we have two or three years where we're very competitive. You know, we won ninety seven games three years in a row, uh, and then there's kind of like a uh, reset or the cycle kind of goes down, and then you pop right back up. And you know, Billy Bean and David Forrest on our baseball side have done an incredible job uh, in the past, you know, really twenty years, you know, navigating that and making sure that many years, I mean, more than half the years, we're in the playoffs, which is, I think, as high as almost any club in the league. So we're kind of in that cycle right now and getting a lot of good young players and getting an exciting team on the field uh, that we can build towards over the next couple of years.
2: I hear what you're saying about how there's these cycles where you're up and then, you know, you have to kind of regroup, but so many more teams are engaged in Moneyball as well. What you were doing back when Billy Bean started it worked really well, because no one seemed to really understand how to value the metrics that you're arbitraging. But the market is much more mature on that. And what you're doing is no longer as distinctive as it was back then. Talk a little bit about how other teams are also looking for that same edge through market inefficiencies and how that changes what you then have to do.
3: Well, you're absolutely right. You know, it's really become pervasive across not just baseball, but sports in general, Yes, where all teams have an analytics Focus because it's so effective uh, you know what Billy Dean was able to do uh, and you know his team and Paul D. Podesta in, in the early 2000s has really been copied so you have to find your next edge and I think the one area that I always see where we do a very good job and I think there's some other teams like Tampa and the same boat the Guardians is having the discipline to make the right decision because a lot of times the decisions are unpopular sometimes it means you have to trade away a very popular player or go through one of the cycles that we're talking about right now. But in the medium term, in the long term, you have better outcomes. And so I still think there are ways to have an edge against other teams, but it's become way, way harder and you need to actually you know, basically hit it at a higher batting average on that.
2: So when you're looking for that edge, is that edge going to come in the form of a metric that others have not yet discovered or is it uh, in how you respond to learning about a market inefficiency? How exactly do you deploy it?
3: Well, one, one is actually trying to find new edges in different ways. And another way is, is getting better at communicating um, analytics to the actual players. I think that's something that you've seen across sports. You know, being able to kind of translate the numbers in a way where you can communicate it to, to a player, a pitcher, or a hitter in a way that's effective. You know, I think you see that like with Mark Kotze, our, our new skipper, does an excellent job of that. Um, so I think there are different ways to try to obtain kind of a, a new edge or, or competitive advantage against the other teams. And we have to constantly innovate and think of new ways to try to approach these problems. Some are going to work, some are not going to work, but through that process, you're going to get better and, and hopefully have more uh, positive outcomes.
1: One thing about Money and you hear it all the time It's like, okay, well, you know, we got to spend this much on the payroll, and uh, we got to, you know, spend it like you know the big fat Yankees. You got all this money, you got to throw towards you guys. Now your payroll has been cut to forty seven point eight million dollars. Now that's the second lowest, and then it will be behind the Orioles. And I bring this up because we they played a game on Tuesday. The Yankees and the A's score was two to one. Yankees won. But two to one, that's very competitive. So now I bring up the question do you need to have a fat payroll?
3: Well, I mean, certainly, you know, superstar players are going to command a superstar, um, you know, pay. And that's, you know, something that's happened for time in a more, um, in a manorial. So, like, that that's going to happen. And I think there are ways to win with or without, but certainly having money makes it easier. And it certainly paves over the rough spots and areas where, you you make mistakes, I think that's always a challenge when we have a lower payroll or a lower budget. If you make one big mistake, it can really cost you because there's really no margin for error. And so I think that's one of the biggest things that happens with the the big market clubs is they can kind of get away with a couple bad contracts. We're not so fortunate. We have got to really make sure that every dollar is spent super wisely. And I think historically, David, um, Forrest, and Billy Bean have done an incredible job of that. You know, we obviously, everybody makes mistakes and has, you know, trades or deals that they wish they could go back on. Um, but I think overall, that's a different focus. We just have to be more efficient because you have less resources.
1: Hmm, Bobby Medea. I never heard of him before. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: do
2: you guys give yourself room for one mistake or two mistakes per season? How do you think about that?
3: Well, there, there are always there are going to be um, decisions that you make that don't pan out. I mean, just, keep in mind it could even be the right decision from an expected value perspective, but it just doesn't pan out. You know, you just don't, you don't know, you know, there's a spectrum of outcomes in all these situations where you could have an injury that's really unfortunate um, that, you know, comes out of nowhere. So there's, there's a lot of things, you know, there's chance um, involved in some of this that's no different than the way the real world works. And I think that's one reason that baseball and sports are so interesting for people because they see it as a reflection of society their own lives, the ups and downs, and how hard it can be to make decisions in an effective way.
1: Dave, is it the athletics or is it the Ace?
3: Well, I've always liked the A's. I think that's a fun nickname. I think that's um, something that obviously Charlie Finley in the 70s brought to the club. and There's something about that iconic hat and seeing yeah. that. And, uh, so I've, I've always kind of gone that direction. But some people like the athletics. So, you know, we have a couple different options for folks.
1: The other question that was, and this is a little more serious here, is... The Senate committee is targeting MLB antitrust exemption, a bipartisan group of senators, and they're talking about the salaries for minor leaguers. Your thoughts about it, uh, first of all, about minor league players uh, trying to get their fair share of getting paid and this uh, committee about the MLB antitrust exemption.
3: Well, I mean, obviously we take all the actions and you know, work of these government uh, panels very seriously. And I know the league office and all the folks there uh, are spending time um, educating all the key stakeholders on the current state of affairs and the industry, the majors, the minors, how it affects our business. And I I know that's been a really positive conversation and I think that's going to continue. And I think it'll shape the discussion around some of these meetings and hopefully the outcomes that are created can be positive and maybe better reflect like the current, environment that we're in.
2: The MLB took over operations of the minor leagues before the 2021 season. They made a lot of big changes. Can you talk a little bit about what the Oakland A's has done with its minor league team in terms of um, improving conditions for minor league players?
3: Yeah. So, I mean, obviously coming out of the pandemic, I think one of the key focuses was like just getting back operating, uh, figuring out which locations, because it kind of was a musical chairs every couple of years in the past. You didn't know where your affiliate was going to be. It might be in Texas. It might be in Michigan. It might be in Ohio. And so they've we've kind of brought a little more stability to that. There's also been a huge investment in facilities to ensure that the facilities are considerably better for the players. So I think those are important steps that have occurred as part of this transition. And that's all going to be important to make sure that we, have the best environment for training for the players, uh, and also a good environment for fans in these communities to watch the games. I mean, that's the other thing too. You know, the minor leagues often are a kind of an entree point for fans into baseball, especially in some of these rural communities. You
1: brought up fans, and the A's they do have a, a loyal fan base, but unfortunately, it, you have low attendance. We're talking like about eighty-four hundred average per game how do you get more butts in the seats
3: well we fundamentally need a new facility you know our our current uh, oakland alameda coliseum is 10 years past its useful life you know it's not competitive with the other professional sports venues in the bay area or even in the country and we need to do what we can and we're spending millions of dollars a uh, uh, a month, you know, we're working on these parallel paths to determine if we can either get our waterfront ballpark in Oakland built or an option in Las Vegas, and that is really the prime focus of the organization now is solving that really twenty-year question of where the A's are going to be because we need to get in a new home so we can have a great experience for our fans, for you know, a bigger payroll and more competitive play on the field.
2: Will your fan base follow you along to wherever you end
4: up?
3: I, we have fans all over the country. You know, one thing, you know, Facebook did a study of like fans in different counties and things of that nature. And A's fans was like the number two in like so many parts of the country. So you would go to like Phoenix and like the top would be the Diamondbacks and then two would be the A's. So there's a little bit of a diaspora of A's fans around the country, which I think uh, plays well to like, if we have a new facility either in Oakland or Las Vegas. You know, people are, can come back and say, Hey, that's somewhere I want to come and watch that. or I want to watch it on television And so I think there's kind of a sleeping giant out there if we can continue to find a way to have a new facility, uh, to be, you know, more competitive. You know, obviously we, over the last five years, been in the playoffs, you know, four of those years. So we've had success on the diamond, but we need to match that up with a great fan experience in in the stadium, too.
2: Do you think there are more A's fans outside of Oakland, the East Bay area, than there are inside?
3: I think. I think there actually are. Yeah, because, you know, this area, you know, I've lived here 30 years in the Bay Area. It's been very transient over the last generation. People have moved in and out. A lot of the people who grew up here, like in the 80s and followed McGuire and Canseco and those players have, have moved somewhere else. And so those are, you know, the kernels of fans in other locations. And they watch us on television or listen on AgeCast on the radio. And so we want to create and, and foster that connection and build it through those fans that are kind of in other places.
1: Stand by. We have more coming up with Dave Cavill, president of the Oakland Athletics or Oakland A's, whichever you prefer. We'll talk more about the team, and we're going to talk more about all the amenities that they have at some of the A's games. That's straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. I'm Michael Barr. You can follow me on Twitter at BigBarSports
2: And follow me on Twitter at ScarletFoo.
1: Do not forget... Really, I didn't even use a contraction. Do not forget to catch our podcast. That's Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays on all your podcast platforms, and right here on Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio.
4: What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move our data is made for more so you can show the world what you're made of visit bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more
1: you're listening to bloomberg business of sports from bloomberg radio This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. I'm Scarlett Fu. And on the show today, we're speaking with Oakland Athletics President Dave Cavill. Cavill, sir, is the seventh president in the history of the organization and has played a huge role in revamping the fan experience at A's games, like adding amenities like gourmet food trucks. And all the access to the clubs, the gourmet food trucks, creating new ticket programs, the gourmet food trucks, and even hosting Major League Baseball's first completely free game and gourmet food trucks. So, I guess my question to you is, how about those gourmet food trucks? Because that sounds like a great idea.
3: It is, and you know, for all the games, we created this incredible environment called Championship Plaza. It celebrates our nine world championships and. We get anywhere from eight to 10 food trucks out at the games. You get everything from, you know, uh, Creole food from Louisiana to barbecue. To, we get the, you know, Crab Shack comes out. I mean, so it's just incredible different food offerings. And it's just, you know, I'm getting hungry just talking about it right now. <laughs> and we get the Italian ice. I love the Italian ice one. It's just incredible. So all the food options are really fun. And it, it's kind of a cool, like, festival atmosphere, And there's a big video board. You can watch the game. And we did this down when I ran the the soccer team in San Jose, the Earthquakes. And it's just a great environment uh, for families um, to hang out and be at the game kind of in a different context.
2: Yeah, I think about the times that I go to what used to be Pac-Bell Park, and I, I can't even honestly recall what the name of it is now. at t Park, yeah. is it? Exactly. at t Park.
1: Yeah, Oracle. No, it's right, it's Oracle, okay, see, it I mean,
2: again. yeah. It's, they they change
1: it all the time, man. It's like, yeah. I was old. Wherever
2: the Giants play, how about that? <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> and, and the food that they have there. I'm curious to get your take on what you think about how sharing a market, the Bay Area, with the Giants has changed over your time as president of the Oakland A's. I know that in the past, there have been a lot of um, comments from A's management about the difficulties, the challenges of sharing that market with the Giants. I'd like you first to comment on how it's changed over your time and and whether you see any parallels between sharing the Bay Area market uh, between these two teams and what's happening, say, for instance, in New York.
3: Well, there's certainly challenges from a marketing perspective to have the two teams. Um, You know, you're competing over fans and things of that nature. I think long term it's good to have the rivalry of two teams. I think you could almost look to European soccer like in London where Tottenham is a big rival to Arsenal and, and Chelsea. And it actually grows the interest in the sport. And I think one of the challenges we've had is we just don't have a facility um, to play in that's at the same standards as Oracle Park. And that puts us at a severe disadvantage, you know. And so that's why if we can get this incredible crown jewel, a new waterfront stadium at Howard Terminal, we're going to be able to compete as an equal or even high, at a higher level from a fan experience than the Giants because their stadium's 30 years old or 20 years old. And so I think that's really an important factor and our decisions as a franchise have to be made through the lens of, hey, this is a two-team market, we're competing with the Giants, and we have to create a product that's on the same level or higher.
2: Will the facility, getting a new facility, solve the issues when it comes to payroll and putting a competitive team on the field?
3: Uh, yes, I think it can because we're going to have, you know, several hundred million in additional revenue, um, that we can then put back in and reinvest in the players. You know, we operate at almost a $250 million revenue disparity to the Giants and they're able to funnel that back into both the fan experience and then most importantly on the player side. You know, we've competed at a very high level without those resources. So if we, I think, deploy that, and give that to the Moneyball crew, Billy Bean, David Forrest, the whole team, I think we can be extremely competitive on a year-to-year basis and really compete head-on. And so that's one of the reasons we're spending so much time on the ballpark effort and doing everything we can to kind of get a breakthrough and get it built uh, because it is such a game-changer for us.
1: If you get a new ballpark on the waterfront in that area, how will you finance it? Will it go through... Trying to get some taxpayer dollars, or will it be all privately financed?
3: The stadium is all privately financed. It's part of a larger $12 billion a real estate project that we're leading. And so there is tax increment financing, which is basically but for taxes, taxes that are only generated by the project that are used to pay back our upfront investment and in infrastructure. So that is the contribution from the public side of a public-private partnership. And that's a typical way you'd see a big project like this done, you know, Hudson Yards in New York and things of that nature. And it can be very effective at taking an area, this is an industrial area, and really kind of reimagining it as a commercial and entertainment hub on the waterfront.
2: How worried therefore are you about the state of the economy and rising interest rates on Oakland's appetite to fund something like that or contribute something like that or any other city for that matters willingness to subsidize uh, a new stadium in any way.
3: Well, considering that the only Dollars invested from the public side are dollars that are generated by the project. There's very little risk for the municipality. It's very different than like when the Raiders came from L.A. and they built the stadium or renovated the stadium for them and issued their own bonds. This is a very different deal, and it's way more uh, financially responsible for all parties and more consistent with the way these deals are put together in the Bay Area. So I don't think that the economy will have a a noticeable impact on that. If anything, if the economy dips, there might be more of an initiative to say, hey, we need a big project like this.
1: Dave Gavel, thank you very much. President of the Oakland A's. I'm hope you had a good time and just to sit down with us and uh, chew the fat about baseball. We really do appreciate it. Thank you,
3: sir. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Dave
1: Cavill. See, I always love talking baseball, and obviously, when you're the president of a Major League Baseball team, mm-hmm. that's the guy to talk to about baseball. And, and I know Scarlett. It, they, they the record is is kind of low right now, but you know what? Not good. It's not good, but it, they. It's still baseball. And it still can be very good baseball. And and like I was saying earlier, you don't have to have a big payroll to be competitive.
2: Yeah, but the record overall leaves a lot to be desired. They have a 329 winning percentage right now. Um, The next worst team in the AL West has a 461 winning percentage. So they're 22 and a half games back. They can make it up. 22 and a half games <laughs> from the Astros? Oh, okay. I, mean, I I guess the question when it comes to the A's, because they're so synonymous with Moneyball, I guess it works right now if you're going through the pain of refreshing the cycle and everything. And if you're going to be approved for a new stadium, now's the time, Or and, and you'll move potentially, now's the time that refreshing that cycle could make sense. I don't know. It might not, It creates a lot of perhaps ill will among the fan base too. I thought it was interesting that he said that they have more fans outside of the East Bay than they do inside.
1: And and that's something, that's why I wonder if that uh, they're rooting to hit that waterfront stadium instead of moving the whole thing to Las Vegas. Uh, I think it would be much more beneficial for them to go to the waterfront route Mm -hmm. and hopefully they can work the financing out.
2: Hopefully they can work that out. Hopefully they can work it out with the port and the city. There's a lot of different stakeholders here that have to agree to it and... I think we've seen in the past, it's much easier for franchises to say, you know what, we're just going to leave and go to another city rather than deal with this.
1: My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since a kid. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance
3: to go for three
1: in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time now for the number of the week. And uh, Who am I competing with? You, it's you. You are competing with. You won last week. I know. So now, so
2: I kind of want to keep it that way.
1: This is—we're going to call this a version of. Well, you know what? It's just like we're sitting at home and we're playing Trivial Pursuit, <laughs> and this question comes up, and it this is now. But I got to give you a range, so I'm going to give you. Let's say
2: Michael Barr is trying to think of ways where I won't embarrass myself. I'm,
1: I'm going to say fifty either way. Okay? Okay. 50 high or 50 low. Okay. Okay, here we go. Sue Bird. She became the WNBA's leader in career wins. And she did it this past week for the Seattle Storm uh, as they beat the Las Vegas Aces 88-78. And this happened on Wednesday night. Now it should be important. Wednesday night. Within 50, high or low, how many wins, career wins, does Sue Bird have? How
2: many years did she? How long is her career again?
1: She has played. Yeah, two thousand two. Thank you, thank you, Justin. Okay, 2002.
2: Justin, our producer just saved us. So, twenty-year yes. career, career in the wins. WNBA. Career wins. Um, I don't even know how many games they play per season. I know I'm asking lots of details, detailed questions because I'm trying to buy time here. <laughs> <laughs> Six hundred
1: eighty-five. Oh no. I thought if I gave you fifty high or low, it would be good. She three hundred twenty-four. Oh. Three hundred twenty, but that's all right. We've got some lovely parting gifts for you. Yeah, we've got some uh, carbon monoxide alarms and all the other stuff for you, man.
2: That's an inside joke, by uh, the way. Yeah,
1: yeah, we'll explain that one day later on. But anyway.
2: Oh, <laughs> Michael Barr.
1: Oh man, but no soup. No, but she is awesome. I mean, I I think a lot.
2: What is her overall
1: record? Now, I don't know her overall record. I will apologize for that. Because I'm just... So maybe um,
2: she's played that many games overall.
1: Well, no. It, career wins. Now, it's true. I see what you're saying. Right? Yeah, like career, you, you know, could have been all that. Career
2: games played.
1: Yeah. Okay, we'll give you that. All right. See, all right. trying
2: to find a way to, to save face.
1: This is <laughs> <bar's> been...
2: laughing.
1: <laughs> this has been the Bloomberg Business of Sports show. We explore some of the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. You can follow me on Twitter at big Bar Sports.
2: I'm on Twitter at Scarlet Foo.
1: And, of course, you can download this show because it is downloaded every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. You have been listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world.
4: What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you?